Are you frustrated with your job search? Are you sending out resume after resume with no callbacks? If so, I have some good news. After three years of helping over 400 people land jobs at places like Meta, HubSpot, Google, Twitter, Amazon, Tesla, Disney, Sony, I created a course. In the Get Your Dream Career course, you'll discover best practices for creating a resume that stands out, and you'll also learn how to optimize your job search. It covers every aspect of the job, including resumes, application strategy, networking, LinkedIn profile optimization, interview guidance, and salary negotiation. You will also get a behind-the-scenes view of how recruiters use LinkedIn to find candidates. And of course, you'll get resume and cover letter templates. Get one step closer to your dream job. Sign up at the link in the notes below. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn Somnia keeps us evolving. We're growing. Welcome to another episode of the No Degree Podcast. I want to personally thank you for tuning in and supporting our show. If you haven't yet, hit that follow or subscribe button. I encourage you, don't keep this to yourself. Share these inspired stories with your friends. Invite them to subscribe and connect with us on social media. So today I have on Zach Carlin. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me, man. This is this is exciting stuff. Uh, so a little bit about me. So we're currently, um, I'm a VP of development for a, a custom window replacement company, and I am a founder, the founder of a business consulting company called Summit Chasers Network. Very excited about it. So uh, I came from. A, I was a sports guy. I was a professional athlete in three different sports. Um, as a young adult, accidentally became a hobbyist serial entrepreneur. Entrepreneur. Okay. It was kind of my side gig as I was a professional athlete. Realized that that was my true uh, passion, uh, especially as injuries started to come in. And I've, I've owned, I've owned and flipped about seven fitness facilities. I ran an online, online fitness and nutrition uh, company. Uh, I did consulting. I, I founded another consulting company back in 2020, 2019. Okay. Um, worked with consulted for some amazing, amazing people and amazing organizations. I consulted for Hewlett Packard, Zerto, Salesforce, ABC Supply, Beacon, Car Gurus, uh, and, a, and a lot of love, mom, pa shops. So yeah, I've, I've a little bit of a jack of all trades, but uh, that's, that's a little bit about me. All right. So looking back at it, you know, if you could create a blueprint of your success, what would it look like? The blueprint for my success I think one of the, and I love this question, and you asked it before we jumped on here, was a blueprint would be to don't give give the experiences that you've had credit, right? Because I, I came from, I was an athlete, right? I thought that that's the only thing I could be good at. So then as I moved into doing the entrepreneur, building businesses, running teams, running people or leading people is I, I didn't, when I started, I didn't give my my past experience enough credit. The things that I learned from being an athlete, from having to take care of myself, from having to compete, having to perform at a high level. And I think the blueprint would be to take every experience that you've had, you can take something and learn something from that and apply it to whatever you're doing now, or whatever you want to be doing, right? So I think a big blueprint for my recent success has been, I, I look back and I'm like, okay, what did I learn? I look back at all these experiences from, again, understanding that if I wanted to perform at a top level, everything had to work together. If I want to run a successful business, the whole ball of wax has to run perfectly together. And I take those pieces like, okay, what can I learn from here? And what can I apply it? So I think, I don't know if that's much of a blueprint, but I would definitely give your past experiences, even though they might not directly correlate with what you want to accomplish or what you're doing now is to look back and always take pieces that you can and apply it to today. No, I, I think that's very good because so many people their own experience. They're like, hey, mm -hmm. I'm transitioning to a new industry. I have nothing. And it's like, you do have something. And the fact is you can't change your background, 
but you can own it. You can say, hey, because I've done this, I'm good at X, Y, Z. The other thing I really want to highlight is sports. A lot of people don't realize sports is very underrated. One thing that parents and just people don't understand is sports is one of the few things that you can actually fail at without getting penalized, right? You fail at school, you get in trouble. You fail at other things, you get in trouble. You fail at sports, it's just gonna happen. Unless you're like a Wayne Gretzky or a Jordan, you're gonna, and even they fail, right? Mm -hmm. You And you learn how to prepare, you learn how to be organized, you learn how to just get your butt kicked and you learn how to get whooped and what? You can't just quit, you gotta bounce back. So that's something that very underrated because in entrepreneurship, you're gonna fail, right? It's not like, hey, I had a string of successes. A serial entrepreneur is someone who's also had serial failures and you're bouncing back and all that. So let's talk a little bit about money. Like what's the salary range for the stuff that you've done? Oh, so obviously when, when you're an entrepreneur, right, we'll talk about that really, really quick. When you're an entrepreneur, you can ideally, you know, you pay yourself whatever you want, but you got to be smart with it, right? So it's, it's entrepreneur. It's definitely, it's, it's a hundred percent what you, you get out of it, what you put into it. But as, as far as where I've, where I've come now in the VP position, I mean, you can expect to make 150, 250 to $300,000 a year, just on a base salary. And that's, just not without bonuses or anything like that, right? If you get into a role where, uh, or with a company who their their compensation style or type is heavily bonused or heav- heavily on incentives, again, you're back into, you're going to get out of it what you put into it, right? So uh, somewhere in a, in a VP position like mine, so I'm a VP of development with WinChoice USA, you have a base salary, you know, you can get a base salary right around 200K and then you hit certain milestones. I mean, you can get 20, 30% of, of your salary in bonuses, throughout yeah. the year right yeah and a lot of people don't realize that once you get to the higher level positions right there's these hefty bonuses that are sometimes bigger than what you were making when you first started out so now let's take it back you know you're an athlete how was high school like for you would you want to be in high school and what were the sports you played man back in high school so i well first of all the sports i played played in high school so I'm, I'm canadian so i played hockey okay you know we're we're, we're coming out of the womb with skates on over there. Uh, so I played hockey I and mean, I, I played every, I came from a small town. So if I wasn't playing sports, I was, I was in trouble, um, you know, drugs and things like that. So, you know, I was, I was a sprinter. I did hurdles in track and field. I played badminton. I went to nationals in badminton. Wow. That was a lot of fun. I played, you know, basketball, football, baseball, begrudgingly, um, but a little bit, a little bit of everything. Like I said, in small towns, if I wasn't doing something, I was doing drugs. And then when I, so you asked kind of, you know, it was high school. Like for me, when I get, you know, 17, 18 years old, I, I didn't want to just be the sports guy. You know, I thought that was kind of my identity and my, my dad, I don't hold him against them. We have a great relationship, but my dad really pushed me into that. And then like, he almost wanted, I was, I was the youngest of six and I, I was kind of the last chance for him to have a kid go to the NHL. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah, I, didn't, yeah. I didn't want that. Right. So I kind of rebelled in 17, 18, actually when I was 18, I was kicked out of the house and I was homeless for about a year, um, but on drugs addicted. So I, I had a lot, I had to fight through a lot of things from, you know, end of 17, you know, middle of 18 years old, but my high school was, yeah, it was, I didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't the guy that fit in. Let's put it that way. I had, I had to work through a lot of things and I don't, I don't regret it. I had to go through it. I learned a lot from it. And I, I definitely wouldn't be where I am today if I didn't go through it. So now you mentioned that you got addicted. Now, how'd you get out of it? Because you're homeless, you're tough, you don't have a support system. And that's mm-hmm. typically a terrible recipe for someone to do, you know, get involved in things. So how'd you bounce back? How'd you crawl your way out? Yeah. Um, so I, what I wanted to do was I had a personal trainer that my, my dad sent me to, and he was, uh, this was back in 2004. This was when mixed martial arts, uh, yeah. UFC 
was getting big and and he was he was an mma fighter wasn't the ufc but he was an mma fighter and he was a big influence on me because we did a lot of the workouts we started hitting the bag he started started showing me muay thai jiu-jitsu so that that was what i wanted to do from you know 13 on that's that's really what i wanted to do right so i ended up getting a boxing coach back home his name was gord still to this day don't know his last name <laughs> and then when uh when i did get kicked out and, and i was going through this uh, these things you know he, he found there's a little park that we had in in uh, the town i'm from called clairsome clairsome alberta and there was a slide one of those little tube slides that i used to used to stay in sometimes and he he found me there and he knocked on it and he's like bro what are you doing you like you have so much more potential than this and i was like i what do you i know i've heard that a million times i get it he's like man just start with one step Let's go buy a new shirt. And that's that's what started it. It sounds weird, but it's that, it's that one step, like one step at a time. I, I would look into the future of like, oh, I have to do all this. I have to go back and get a GED. I have to get a job. I have to clean myself up. I have to try to find a place to live. You think about all that stuff. It gets really overwhelming. But when he knocked on the thing, he was like, you're an idiot. Let's just go buy a shirt. Just is a first step, right? What's the next thing I have to do? Just buy a shirt, man. And then I bought a shirt. He took me out for lunch. And then we went and started writing out a resume. And I got a job at the pool. Luckily, I had some had somebody there who I had a good relationship with, and I started working at the pool part time as a lifeguard. Um, but it was it was that it was Gord, and again, I still don't know his last name. But he was he was a boxing coach um, of mine, and that's kind of what got me out of it. And then I started training again, um, traveling to the city, training. Um, and then by the time I was nineteen, I was I had kind of got out of it. I got out of I had a good rhythm. I was training pretty much full time in mixed martial arts. I was driving to the city at my gym at the time it was called Knuckles. Okay. It wasn't the greatest. It was kind of in a back alley next to a club, but it is what it is. And uh, yeah, when I when I was 19, almost 20, I had a couple amateur fights and I had a sister who just moved to Las Vegas. So that was the turning point. That was another turning point for me where Gord was like, man, you got to either got to do this. As my dad used to say, sorry for the language, shit or get off the pot. He's like, man, you, if you're going to go for it, if this is what you want to do, you got to do it. And you have an opportunity right now with somebody, you know, living in Las Vegas, the Mecca for mixed martial yeah, arts, yeah. It was like 2008, right? It was, the, it was the Mecca, right? So I had a little bit of money saved up and I, luckily the Canadian dollar was doing okay. So I ended up moving to Las Vegas when I was 19 years old and ended up competing, uh, trained out of extreme couture, um, competed with some of the, uh, trained with some of the greatest fighters of all time. Um, back in the day for their time and i ended up fighting professionally from 19 to just turned 23 okay cool you know so i'm an assistant wrestling coach and i had demetrius johnson as a guest on my podcast so very interesting very interesting guy um so how was it competing you know like because this is intense a lot of people don't realize like there's a lot that goes on and even if you're really good, like there's so many things that go into becoming a good fighter. So how was that like for you? Yeah, I think it was, I don't want to say it was easy. The mindset was easy at the time. At the time it was easy because that's what I used to survive kind of. It's, it's kind of it's what got me out. So I, I latched onto it. So it was easy for me to stay in it because I saw it as kind of like a flotation device almost. But when I got there and when it, when it becomes your lifestyle, like when this is what you rely on for a paycheck, is going into the gym every day, three times a day, getting your butt kicked nonstop. Especially, I can't. I thought I was hot shit in Canada, yeah, yeah. and then I go to Vegas, and I'm like, okay, I suck. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm getting my ass kicked all the time. But I think, and this this was kind of a detriment. Things that I'm still working through today is that 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 was my identity. Like I was I was the sport. I was the athlete. Like that was all I was going to be good at, right? So that, I, I latched onto it almost out of necessity. I was like, well, I don't have anything else I can do, so this is it, right? So. 
it's it's i don't suggest the lifestyle to anybody if you have a brain right use that but uh again i, I latched on to it as like this is all i can this is all i got this is all i got so you know getting up you know eating eating what i needed to eat getting into the gym whether i had gas in the truck or not getting into the gym that was just it was kind of going through the motion so for me at the time until i was about 22 23 it was just just the way it was it was just survival it was just this is all i know right until i started I needed to, I got signed on with a, a organization called SCC Superior Cage Combat. They haven't been around for like 11 years now, but I got signed on with them and I made for my first fight, I made 600 bucks if I showed. And then if I won, I got another 1500 bucks. Oh, wow. So it's not a lot of money. And most of your money you get, like you have to win. Like you're flipping a coin every time. Yeah. So I had to get another job. So I started doing uh, personal training. Right. Cause I got really into like the strength and conditioning. I started working with some of the guys in the gym on their strength and conditioning and stuff. Like I always just kind of, that was my, yeah. that was my thing. And, um, I took a couple of certifications, um, and I still didn't have my GED at the time. So I took a couple of certifications where I had a, you know, do you have a high school diploma? Yeah, sure. Don't check please. Um, but, uh, so I started, started really doing that and I started having to run it as kind of like my own, like I get an LLC and all that kind of stuff. So I started to learn. That was kind of my first story into like business. Right. So that's, that's kind of how that's kind of how the entrepreneur mind of me started because then I had to start I had to market market it right and at the time like Facebook was still kind of new so yeah. I was posting on Facebook had a little little dinky website um, and that kind of stuff so I started to kind of I started to, like that that was kind of it was slowly turning you could see kind of my passion shift a little bit right into like oh I had this like finding new ways to make this work finding new ways to improve somebody's fitness and somebody else's fitness so provide my service right and, and bring people in so that, that's kind of where the entrepreneur mind kind of started now how much were you charging oh man this was back in 2003 i was charging enough to buy that day's dinner like okay. not very much <laughs> i didn't i did not know i did not know how to price myself appropriately let's put it that way i think when i was working with i've had a couple amateur fighters that were all broke yeah right? we're, all, we're all broke so if i was working with some amateur fighters i was doing like 20 bucks a week. Oh, wow. You know That's I mean? yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like, but I would, I would work with like 10 of them at a time. So I thought, Hey, 200 bucks a week. It's a lot of money for me yeah. at the time. So yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't charging, charging a ton. And then when I started doing, you know, like the, the general populace, you know, I started doing, you know, 20 bucks a session yeah. type of thing. I kind of started there. Right. But then you start doing, again, I just got obsessed with it and you start doing research. Like what, okay, what are other people in my market you know, that have comparative uh, education and, um, experience doing. And then I started like, okay, so I should be charging. I want to become in the middle. I don't want to be the cheapest. I don't want to be the most expensive because that's scary at the time, but I want to be right in the middle. So then I started, after I started doing it a little while, you know, I was charging 50 bucks a session type of thing, especially when you get into certain markets, like in, yeah. somewhere in Vegas, you get into the right markets, right? You got to, you got to know who you're marketing to, you know, you get into the, the nicer, nicer neighborhoods and nicer areas, you know, you start going like, I wonder if they'll pay 80 you just start testing you start yeah, trying it out yeah. i wonder if they'll do 100 <laughs> some people would would do it or they they wouldn't now what was the big one that you're like wow you're scared to charge that price and they said yes you're like whoa this is wild so when i started doing bundles so i started doing like okay you get like 20 sessions right and if you buy all 20 you get a bundle and i because the number's higher yeah right yeah. even though if i'm like okay let's let's do 20 but it's gonna be 20 bucks right that's 400 bucks Right. But if I'm only asking for 20 at a time, but the first time I asked for $500 for 20 sessions, I lost I, and, and I lost it. I was like, so it's going to be, you know, when you first start selling, I don't know if anybody, probably yeah. people are looking where they, they start selling. They're like, so I know it sounds pricey. Like you start talking yourself yeah. out of it, talking them out of it. Like it might sound a little pricey, but I just want you to know that it's like, blah, 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 and it'll be $500. And she was just like, 
okay, like how do you how do I pay you? Right, and that there was no like Zelle or anything like that back yeah. then. So like cash. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, yeah, sure. Like, but I, but I almost screwed it up because I was scared to ask for the 500. But yeah, so that, that time when I started, the first time I sold a bundle, I was like, oh, okay. Like, that's, that's how it works. <laughs> you know, a lot of people who are listening, bundles are the way to go because you get mm-hmm. people who are committed. You get everything up front. And now you don't have to chase the sale because even if you do charge good rates, what happens is let's say you charge 100 a session. Now you got to convince someone to do another session. You have to convince someone to come back. And you spend yeah. a lot of time on that. Whereas if you just convince, hey, 100 a session, you need 20 sessions. All right. Pay a thousand now and then pay a thousand after the 10th session. Yeah. Now you don't have to change. You know that this money's coming in. And then if yeah. they quit on you, then they quit on you, right? You keep the money, right? You mm-hmm. kind of let them know like, Hey, if you're not serious, let me know. hundred percent. Just make sure you have a contract, right? Get a contract that says, Hey, if you stop coming, that's on you, not on me. Right. And that way you only have to sell them once. You're just selling them on the bundle once. Cause if you only, if you do it session to session, you have to resell them every time. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, it's tough. Yeah. So you mentioned you did it from 19 to 23. Why'd you kind of stop at 23? Cause I know it's, it's tough. Oh, injury. Yeah. So I had an injury. I thought I was a division one wrestler. I'm not I'm Canadian. I never, I thought yeah. wrestling, I knew Brett, the Hitman Hart cause he was from Calgary, Alberta. Yeah. I hold the, yeah. I held the door open for him once. So I was like, <laughs> yeah, that, that was my experience with wrestling. <laughs> so we had the, the, a division one. Uh, wrestler here and that was when i don't know you know michael chandler yeah 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 so he was he was young he was still just turning pro okay. at that time we had a couple of his his team in there um wrestling team in their training and one of them was like a middleweight kind of thing a little bit bigger about the same size as me at the time and uh he shot on me and i went to sprawl and they're so damn strong he pulled my femur out of place damn so i dislocated my hip um and that that put me out and then because I was under contract with SCC. That was the reason I was able to stay in the country. Because again, I'm Canadian. I didn't have a, have a green card at the time. Yeah, yeah. So they, I was out for an extended period of time. They don't care. So they, they cut me. I was yeah. on the roster anymore. And they were also hurt. And I think they're, they're about to go under. And so that's what was keeping me in the country. So I actually got kicked out of the country. Um, and I, I used to tell people I got kicked out of the country. Like, oh, what did you do? It's like, I just forgot to sign some paperwork. <laughs> it's not that cool. Um, and then I ended up uh, yeah, moving, having to move back to, to Canada. And then I, that's when I got into CrossFit actually, um, to stay in, stay in shape. And then that's when I was kind of like, Oh, I guess I'm pretty good at this too. So I started competing in, in CrossFit. Okay. So how did that go? Great. That was my kind of my second professional soiree into being an athlete. I, um, and that, that's where I started. That's where my business mind really started to kick in. So when I came back, um, CrossFit wasn't I mean, it still isn't in the grand scheme of things, a very known sport, right? I didn't know it was a sport either. Uh, until I came back and, and got into that gym, but I they had had this. Uh, so there's like steps. So there's like the CrossFit Games, which is like the um, Olympics, the Grey Cup, Stanley Cup, whatever. And there's a regional, and then there was an open, and you had to qualify. You had to go do the open to qualify for the regionals, and you had to travel to the regionals and compete against a bunch of other people to make it to the CrossFit Games. And my first year, I'd only been working out, doing it for about three months. And I qualified for the regionals, so I actually got to go to Vancouver and compete um, at regionals. And that's when I was like, oh, then this is pretty big. Like, it's a smaller community, but they're a very dedicated community, yeah. very loud, dedicated community. And I got to compete. Like, there was like 2,000 people in the stands. And I was competing in, like, fitness racing, basically, in front of all these people. I'm like, damn, this is cool. And I'm not getting punched in the face. <laughs> like, this yeah. is way better. And I had kind of lost my, uh, you know, fighting edge at the time. I was more of a lover. I was starting yeah. to... You know, wasn't I wasn't in survival mode as much anymore, and I, I loved it. And then I became a partner. I competed and I won. I started winning some money. You could win some good money in competitions. I'd win like five grand, ten grand at a time in little local competitions. And I started saving money and I actually bought into my first gym when I was twenty four. 
that was my first time um, really owning a business like a legit business. And then that's when I got obsessed with it. And then I started competing more and more and more. Um, by the time 2015 came around, I was ranked seventh, um, seventh fittest man in the world in CrossFit. And I was traveling wow. to like Brazil. Um, I competed in Brazil, France, Australia, Dubai, all over the US, all over Canada on teams, you know, sponsored. I was on billboards in Canada. It was pretty wild. And during that time I had, I started again, I was like, that was my main thing was being an athlete. Cause that's all I identified that I could be good at. But on the side, I was, I was buying gyms and then flipping them and making them profitable. And then I would get out of them and then buy another one. So I was almost like a hobbyist entrepreneur. So I'd come in and I, I would just on my spare time, I'd be like, okay, how can I make this gym more profitable? I'd come in, we would, you know, diversify some of their income streams, you know, start selling supplements, start selling different types of programs. They have different rooms. We'd start renting out the rooms to chiropractors, massage therapists, and teach people how to manage all this stuff. We'd put in like gym, gym type CRMs, like a Zen planner and, and stuff like that, and teach them how to manage properly and how to hire good people and how to market. And I would put all these things in place, or I'd help them put all these things in place, get them profitable. And then I was like, I don't have time to do this anymore. I need to sell and get out. Right. And then I would do it again. Right. And then I would do the same thing. I'm like, this is too much work. This is too much time away from me being an athlete. So I'm going to sell and go over here. So I was like accidentally like an, an entrepreneur. Like it was, it was weird. It was really weird, but that's where my passion was. And then again, because I identified as the only thing I can be good at and be successful in is an athlete. That's where I felt trapped in. But yeah. I was over here again, accidentally being an entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah, no, that's cool. So let's go into a little more detail. How'd you realize that you could improve these gyms like where'd you learn it like where'd you learn that hey you can add supplements you could add a chiropractor so i this was again social media was starting to pick up a little bit so i'm sure most people listening are familiar with who alex hormozy is that's so what i was time, thinking you're, i was like yeah, it sounds time. like a hormozy thing yeah so and i i didn't i didn't even know that he really i mean i knew about gym launch his his yeah. i guess it's still he's still in the company kind of he's getting bought out but um I knew about it, but I, I saw that, you know, he comes in, right? He implements his system and process and gym launch. He launches your gym and puts in his processes to make it more profitable and bring more people in. Um, so I just started like, okay, well, he's doing that. So, you know, there's, I'm going to kind of find out what he's doing without having to pay for it, <laughs> having, having him actually come in. So I started doing more research, like in, into business itself, into what are successful gyms doing. And again, a lot of these gyms at the time were just identifying as just CrossFit gyms. So that's all they were, their only income stream was the memberships, right? It'd be 150 or $200 a month membership. And that was it. And I was like, well, you guys, like you guys have a built in, very dedicated business like people who come in like your customer base is very dedicated like they're spending money and it's not for like they they have money they're it's not cheap 200 bucks a month for a membership is not cheap so if they can do that like they can spend their money on other stuff so i was like we're, we're, we're beating people up and you have a couple rooms available like i know a couple massage therapists that would kill to have a built-in customer base too yeah. so let's rent out the rooms right and then i started seeing that he was also selling like he had a had a process where he would also bring in his because that's when he started doing prestige labs a supplement line he'd bring in his supplement line and like okay well you have a built-in customer base let's just give them more things to buy let's just upsell and cross sell and that's the first time i heard that i was like upsell and cross sell. i'm like oh that's smart all right so i had and i was a sponsored athlete i had a supplement company yeah. that i was sponsored with so i was like can we just bring in your stuff and sell your stuff in the gyms they're like yeah that sounds great so i just would do that so I'd just bring in the company that i was sponsored with right it's called nova three labs at the time and we'd bring in their supplements and we would sell their supplements to everybody. And then we started doing, again, as a personal trainer with the bundles, right? I started like, well, we could do that too, right? So we bring in good trainers, right? So we went through we kind of trial and error, you know, how to bring in and hire good, good coaches. And then 
we'd have coaches come in so people wouldn't just buy the membership. They buy a membership. Hey, do a membership today. We'll do your first month free. And if you if you sign up for this bundle, this personal training bundle. So, right, so we're diversifying the revenue streams. We're bringing in, we're doing more personal training. The bundles might include some supplements. Um, and then I read a book and I can't remember what the book was called at all. But it was if you can get people on recurring, like the more people you can get recurring, like any kind of service or product recurring, the better. Right. So I was like, well, why don't we put them on like a recurring thing to get supplements every month? Right. So it just builds them with their membership every month. And then they're like, okay, here's your supplements. Right. And then you can diversify the bundles of supplements that you get. So there's honestly, there's a lot of it just doing a lot of research on my own and trial and a lot of error. Or some of the errors that you made. Oh, God. Uh, for, well, first of all, if, uh, the big one, I think, was underpricing, underpricing things. Um, and then another failure was understanding that when you when you trade time for money, you're very limited. So I would bring in trainers and they would get overwhelmed right away because they're teaching the classes. They had to do one on one personal training. And so understanding that time for money is not the smartest thing. So that's why you need to stack. That's why I was like, okay, we, we need to stop doing that because we're just wearing people out. People were quitting. We had a lot of um, we had a lot of co- like good coaches that would come in and quit. Like our attention rates weren't that good. So like, okay, we need to up their prices, right? So we need to pay more commission for them to keep good people, and then um, stack more services on top of each other. So okay, you do this, you also can get your supplements. Do this, you can also get um, you know a massage once a month, right? So we started stacking a lot of those things together and bundle, like you said, bundling them together. Uh, but I think the biggest one was not understanding, not managing people very well in their time very well. So we our, our retention rate was really bad for good coaches at first, just because we're throwing, we're just like, oh, the money's great. Just throw, <laughs> right? You're going to be here 12 hours a day, but you know, we're making a lot of money. And then I, I think a lot of the, I think a lot of the mistakes were just around people, like hiring the right people, trusting people, making, creating good relationships with people. Like we, we brought in a massage therapist and we didn't vet them properly. Uh, well, actually, no, sorry, they weren't, I'm sorry, they were a physiotherapist, brought in a physiotherapist um, without vetting them very well. I just heard physio. I'm like, oh, they must, they're professional, right? They went to school, cool. Um, brought them in and they ended up actually poaching a lot of our clients and sending them to their other gym. So it's just not, yeah. So just, a lot of it is just it's around people, a lot of around people pricing and managing, managing money, managing money, right? Because you just the ins and outs of running a business of you need certain cash on hand for certain times of year you need to plan ahead right you, you know we're, we're the difference between being liquid <laughs> and not right so a, a lot of it around people and then just managing money so do you mind sharing like okay so how much does like a gym make and then you mm-hmm. come in and how much can they get to by doing these things well most of the time gyms don't make anything <laughs> especially when they have the one revenue stream so we would come in so like a typical lease Again, and a lot of these gyms are they're more in like industrial area. So the leases yeah. weren't too bad as far as square foot goes. So our lease would be around, we had like a 4,000, 5,000 square foot facility. The lease would be at the time, it'd be around 12, 11,000 a month. Um, and then all the equipment, HVAC. So if you're looking to open a gym, you're down 70 to 100,000 yep. right away. So, and then from there, again, if you have 50, 50 clients and you're, again, you're charging 150 dollars a month right so you have 50 clients 150 dollars a month what is that seven seven hundred fifty, right yeah seven thousand five hundred a month you're not making anything yeah at that point right and then we would come in and then so the the first gym um that i really kind of started implementing stuff it was called infinity five fitness and they were they were in the red by about eight grand every month right it would it would fluctuate one month it'd be in the red four grand but never in the green right but they had 
a very good customer base. Like they're very wealthy. They're in a good area. Right. So by the time that we had in, we added the supplements, we added two massage therapists and a physio that were paying rent themselves. Right. So we'd pay them, pay the rent. And then that alone covered the difference. So we ended up just even just with them paying for their part of the lease. There was four rooms, I think, and they're each paying $600 a month. So it pretty much made up the difference. And then we put in the different revenue streams. By the time about three months in, when we had two new coaches in there, we started the bundle program. And when we did a couple a uh, couple launches, um, they were in the green by about, I think the, our best month was about 84,000, wow. 74,000, I think. Still pretty burned in my head. Um, so we, like it was, it was an almost 10X by the time we had everything in place, right? Because then, then you attract a different market too, when there's different options. Um, the perceived value is much higher at that point. So you don't just get different market types, but you get more of it, right? Like you get different demographics and more. Um, so we, we went from about, they were doing about 8,000, 8,000 a month, 9,000 a month to, yeah, we were, we had 74, 74, a couple, a couple months there. Wow. So really just like, and it just really Mm -hmm. shows how you have to be strategic when you do these things because a lot of time people just focus on, hey, I'm going to have a gym. I'm just going to have fun. But it's yeah. not fun to be in the red every month and it's really stressful and you start yeah. hating what you actually love doing in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Well, I think a lot of entrepreneurs, and I mean, and that's in any industry. Like I worked a lot with um, home improvement and a lot of it, it's somebody who worked at another com- company, right? And they either like installed windows or installed roofing or they sold it. They're like, I can get back and be good at this. I can do this. And then they're really good at getting to a certain point, right? But then when it comes to running, like having to be strategic and running a larger, you're not a solopreneur anymore. Like you have an organization, like, I don't know how to do this. Like this is, I, I need, I need to think, I need to be able to zoom out and look outside the box a little bit here and see the whole thing for what it is. So how long were you flipping gyms and why'd you decide to get out? Um, so I did until five. So 2013 was my first one. And then 2018, I had a sponsor, um, a fitness equipment sponsor called Tidax. And they had actually brought me on to, they wanted to open a fitness facility, a bigger fitness facility. And they're like, well, you know what you're doing. So, and we're already sponsoring you. We have a good relationship. So why don't you come on and we'll, we'll open this big fitness facility and we'll start, we're kind of start to expand our fitness equipment, like where we're selling it and start competing with these bigger brands and that kind of stuff. So I got on with Tidax, we opened that fitness facility. And then I kind of, I had that pretty quickly where it was just kind of running on its own, where what we really wanted to do was expand the fitness equipment, right? So we were selling like big, big rigs and we were supplying big competitions to all all the equipment that they needed. We started getting into um, like the 24 hour fitnesses and uh, in Canada, there's a good life fitness, which is kind of like the U.S.'s uh, 24 hour or EOS or something, EOS. And we started getting into those. So we actually took that the first year I was there, they were, they did about two, 1.8 million the first year. And then about two years later. So just before 2019, around 2019, end of 2019, uh, we did between 20 and 30 million that year. So we really blew up. And that was kind of my first real like big project. That was my first like, how, like I had to hire like marketers, <laughs> I had yeah. to hire salespeople. I had to hire um, like the logistics alone was a nightmare, right? So we, that was my first real like, oh, this whole the whole ball of wax needs to work together. Then how do we? How do how do I just be able to zoom out? I say it a lot. How do I zoom out and be able to see? Okay, this is I need to prioritize this piece and this this piece needs to communicate with this piece. Okay, this piece is falling apart because of that. Like you know what I mean? I had a, yeah. that was my first kind of soaring into that, and then that's when I had my daughter, and then we ended up having to move back because I my, met my wife in Vegas. 
she moved back to Canada with me when I got kicked out. And then we had our daughter and we wanted to move back to the U.S. to be closer to her family. So I ended up getting out of that. Um, and we started a new life in Vegas in 2019. Okay, so you went back to Vegas. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's interesting how things come full circle. Now, mm-hmm. what what did you do in Vegas? When I got back? Yeah. So initially, I, I got on with a company called V-Shred just because I needed something. Yeah. Uh, I didn't have a visa yet. Um, so I got on with a company called V-Shred, and they were just an online fitness yeah. company. And probably, a lot of people probably see their ads. Um, and we built out their online kind of fitness presence, like their their service, their online service. Um, and we grew that pretty substantially. I think by the time when I was on there, there was about five of us. And then by the time I left, there was a little, I think a little over 200 of us. Wow. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I wanted to do kind of do my own thing at that point. Um, had had some roots in Vegas, had a little bit of money so we could start our own thing. Um me and my now ex-wife start our own thing. And so we wanted to start a fit, like our own fitness stuff. We wanted to open a gym and whatever. And then we poured a bunch of money into it. And then all of a sudden, everyone knows what happened in 2020. Yeah. COVID hit and we lost everything. Like I'm like everything. Like it was, it was bad. It was bad, bad. So for about six months, I actually ended up having to get a job just for us to survive. I get a job as customer service for Netflix. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And we had a setup because we, and we also had my son at the time too. So we were, she was pregnant. So we had my son and he was a newborn baby at the time. So we had a three bedroom. So all the bedrooms were taken. Yeah. So I actually had to set up my computer and all that stuff in the garage in Las Vegas in the summertime. Oh, I don't know how you did that. I don't either. I don't either, but I'm here. So I survived. Um, I had to set up a little like air conditioning unit in the corner. Yeah. It just in a blue, I had a blue right on me because if I like went a foot in either direction, it yeah. was just pouring sweat. So yeah, I had to do that, and then I then I partnered with um, in my old consulting company that what I had um, Next Play, um, partnered with um, Richie, um, the old partner of mine, and we started Next Play, and that's where we got into. We we had a little little in, in downtown Las Vegas. We had a little it was like eleven hundred square foot gym, and we actually got that eleven hundred square foot gym. We did a hundred thousand dollars a month in that little eleven hundred eleven hundred square foot gym, um, just on everything that I've learned. He was a very good sales. He had a very good sales mind. He was a former um, keynote speaker. Um, so we kind of combined um, our knowledge and business knowledge and, and my industry knowledge, and and um, yeah, we got a little eleven hundred square foot gym to doing a hundred doing six figures a month, and then we had a a client. That was a, he owned a bail bonds, the biggest bail bonds company. I think it's, I think it's the biggest in my, don't quote me on that. One of the biggest bail bonds companies in California as a client. Cause he's like, you guys have some like a really cool kind of way you deliver your service. And I think it would work for a sales team because a lot of it was around like accountability and, yeah, you know, like good habits. And we had a really good sales process. Like I just learned how to sell over the years. Like I had, I, I researched it. I did a lot of my yeah. own research and, and sales and that kind of stuff. So they're like, Hey, can you come work with our sales team? So we're like, Hey, this could work for like companies and we're like okay well let's ditch the gym because this is a lot of work yeah (laughs) right and um i mean it's all a lot of work but and i was also i was burnt out of the fitness industry so we're like yeah why not let's go all in so when we started we officially started next play and we did business consulting we worked with we started out doing working with sales teams sales leaders um and then i kind of transitioned into working like organizational leadership um consulting and like talent density improvement and hiring just a lot of stuff that i learned over the years of again, I learned really quickly that the right people is the most important thing in a company. So I, all the research I did, my obsession with that, I was able to pour that into a lot of these companies I was consulting with. And then over the, over the next few years, I was able to kind of, we were able to kind of create a, a framework, um, to, to kind of come into these companies and consult with them and improve their, not just their, their sales, but you know, how they hire, how they develop their people, how do they think and plan ahead? How do they set their business foundation up for success in the future? 
yeah, it was a lot of great experiences. A lot of, I learned a ton in that time. Oh, wow. I love it. So you finally got out of the traditional athlete fitness area. Mm-hmm. Now, how did it feel that you got out? Like, how did it impact your identity? Uh, I mean, again, that's something I still struggle with, right? I, the, they call it imposter syndrome. Yeah. Right? Like, why are these, like, again, I, we, we consulted with some fairly big companies like Deserto is a Hewlett Packard company. Hewlett Packard, I hear is pretty big. Um, so I'm like, why are these people listening to me? Right. So I was like, why, what did I, but then I would do it. Like I would suck it up and I would do it. Right. Cause I'm competitive and you know, I like to be uncomfortable. I don't like to be uncomfortable, but I understand the benefits of getting uncomfortable. And so I would do it and they'd be like, well, that was great. Like, where'd you learn all this stuff? I'm like, I don't know. You have an MBA. You tell me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was, it, it's still something that I, you know, you still kind of struggle with it where it's like, this isn't who, you know, why are they listening to me? You know, who am I to, to really, but it's the more you do it and the the more you have confidence in what you know, and the more you have confidence in your preparation. Like, I don't know if you can see my bookcase behind me. Yeah, I read everything in one of those books, right? And I've, I filled up, I don't know how many notebooks. Like, I study constantly. I make sure I'm going to conferences constantly. I'm learning from people. I, I pay for mentors. I you know you, you can invest in yourself in other ways other than just going to school Then um, the experience. And again, giving, like we said at the beginning, giving your experience that you've had credit. Because if you don't give it credit, you're blinded to all the great things you can pull from it, right? So... I really, yeah, it's, it's still something I, str- I struggle with, but it's, again, the more you're uncomfortable, the more you do it, uh, it, 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 start, it, it goes away. The voice is, it, it gets, it's a little quieter now than it used to be. Yeah. Now, how did you get into Windows? So where do the Windows come in? So I had a little bit of a uh, core value difference with my um, partner over at Nextplay. Nothing, wish him the best. Um, and WinChoice, the company I'm with, uh, with now, uh, was a client of ours and they kind of twisted my rubber arm again. I had two kids, um, just went through a divorce and I was like, yeah, Vegas isn't the best place to be raising kids. And they're, they're over here in Arkansas. Um, beautiful. It's gorgeous here. I didn't even know where it was on a map at the time, but they're like, yeah, come on, come on over. We, we have a, we have a great place for you. We'd appreciate you, your talents and everything over here. So they twisted my rubber arm and, and they brought me over from Vegas to, to work with them. And then, then we, we started uh, summit chasers. So, yeah. Wow, that's awesome. So it's just cool how you just went through the journey and then that athlete in you just always kept you going, right? That competitive edge. Now, mm-hmm. looking back at your career, what would you say you're most proud of? Oh, career specifically, I would have to say if I had to pick, well, first of all, just it's wild when you think kind of like, how did I get here? Like yeah. when you think of all the stuff that I had to do in order to get here. I'm like, geez, like you, like you got to give your, again, you have to give your past credit. Yeah. Right. Um, but I think the big, the, if I had to pick one thing, it would be, I had to run a workshop and I did it by myself, my own preparation. This is when I got kind of got first into like speaking, I had to run a workshop and I had to plan it all myself. It was like their quarterly leadership. It was all of the managers and stuff in this, in this company. And I had to run it myself and it was a two day workshop and I was nervous. I was terrified. I did all the planning myself. I had to do all the, the investigate. I do the SWOT analysis and everything. And when I was finished, they were like, damn, how long have you been doing this for? And I was like, this is my first one. <laughs> right. So I was, that was kind of like a big, like in speaking of the imposter syndrome, how did that voice kind of go away? It was, it's, it was that, that was a big moment where it was like, oh damn, I'm, I guess I'm, I guess I'm good at this. Oh, um, you know, that, that, that was kind of a big, that was a big moment for me when, when they, when they asked, you know, how long have you been doing this for? I was like, <laughs> two days. Now, this is going to be a little different. If you saw like your 18, 17, 18 year old self walking across the street today, what would you tell him? Oh, that is, that is 
deep. That is deep. Hmm. What would I tell him? I would probably tell him that that's hard. It's hard to say like, Hey, don't do this. Don't do that. Cause if I tell them that, then I won't be where I'm at. Right. So I think it would just be like, you just, just trust the path that you're about to take. And it's, you're, you're going to end, you're going to end up where you need to be. Right. Like all the, all the shit you have to go through. It's, it's, it's there for a reason and trust in that. Right. Like, I, I don't know if I'd want to change it. You know, there, everybody has a little, you know, little regrets here and there, but you know, I, I would say just, just trust that everything that you go through is for a reason and learn from it. Like genuinely look back and take something from it and apply it. Now, do you still have that shirt? I do. I don't. Oh, man. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't. It was at, I, we bought it at the bargain store. It was five, $5 and 50 cents. And it was red with a, with a, like one of those, there was no emojis at the time. Yeah. Right? It was the thing. It had like that yellow smiley, like the, it was like a painted smiley face yeah. right here. And it was I still remember what it looked like, but no, that shirt's long gone. <laughs> okay. You know what you could have done? You could have bought yourself a shirt. I think that would have had a big impact. That would have big time. Yeah. So what are your future goals? Oh, uh, I really want to. So one of my, one of my kind of my main missions right now, and that's why I appreciate being on this podcast so much is I want the, 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 the success of a lot of these small businesses, a lot of these, these entrepreneurs who don't have, you know, the typical MBA background, yeah. or a ton of experience, even experience like mine or yours or anything like that. I want their success to be, I, I don't want it to seem like an anomaly. I want, I want to, I want to be able to provide a service and a framework and a community where that success is almost expected. Yeah. Right. And to kind of, kind of beat the bullies, not that they're bullies on purpose, but to, to kind of beat, you know, the odds. Right. And I want, I want to be able to provide that, that type of future in the community that I want to create. So I have a big goal with, with summit chasers and even with wind choice USA being kind of like the mothership, the hub of it, but with summit chasers network, it's, it's, I want that, that success for these people that don't have the typical upbringing or the typical um, path to success or typical business mindset. They just have a lot of drive and they're willing to invest in themselves. I want to create a community where, where again, their success is, it's much more common. Like right now, I think there's like 32 million small businesses in the U S and 50% of those go out of business in the first two or three years or something like that. And then 80% of those don't even see a million, $2 million a year kind of thing. Like I would, I would really love to be able to make a dent in those statistics. No. And I look, you got the systems and all that stuff because I find a lot of small businesses, right? They don't have a CRM. They don't have like upsells. They underprice themselves. They're kind of all, always in survival mm-hmm. mode and those systems kind of get them just out of the ditch and then doing some mm-hmm. extra things can really turn around the business and a lot of people don't realize that even you know you hear of a business making half a million you forget that they have rent they're buying inventory mm-hmm. they have costs they have employees they yeah. have all these other things so it's like you really need to get to a certain level especially once you have a team yeah. right um because the expenses can easily be you know 15 20 30 40 even 50k a month yeah. Now, I think that's a big one too. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you no, off. Go ahead. That's a big one. Is that like we have so much technology these days? Like and, and that that seems to be a big focus for a lot of people. But if you don't have the right people to operate it, you don't have the right processes and procedures to utilize it, and you can't teach it over and over again, you can't replicate it, right? Then you can't scale. Like you can't grow. You're like and you you said it, like you're stuck. Yeah. <laughs> you're in survival mode, stuck in the weeds, just like, okay, I just gotta get to the next week. Oh crap, payroll's coming up. Okay, I need to make this many sales just to get payroll. Right. And you're so in it. So it's, it's, it's a struggle, but and uh, that's, that's the mission. Okay. Cool. How would people get in touch with you? How would people support you? Yeah. So, I mean, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Summit Chasers Network on both of those platforms, uh, LinkedIn, Zach Carlin, Z-A-C-H-C-A-R-L-I-N, um, or you can send over an email at Zach at summitchasersnetwork.com. 
happy to happy to just make it connections like this. We have a podcast too that we're launching in the middle of the month, Summit Chasers Podcast. Um, the goal is to get about 30, 30 uh, recordings before we launch it so we can keep that really, really consistent. Um, so hopefully that, that'll be going here pretty, pretty soon. So, yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for your time, Zach. This was such a cool episode and I can't wait for your business to grow. Thanks very much. I appreciate it. Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information was valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think the show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated and we'll go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast. On Facebook at facebook.com slash no degree inc. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal, spelled J-O-N-A-E-D, last name I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time, no degree, no problem, nodegree.com.